Praise the Lord, everyone. That wasn't everyone, but praise the Lord, everyone. That sounded more like everyone. I give honor to Pastor Ford and First Lady Ford and the ministry that has impressed this area by reason of prayer. Everybody say prayer. That's not my subject. Don't get nervous. <clears throat> if you got nervous, it's because you're not praying. <laughs> but that's not my subject, but that's what establishes revival. Much prayer, much power. A little prayer, a little power. If you're wondering why things aren't moving, it's probably not maybe because you're not praying, but how you're praying. If things don't shift, stop praying the way you're praying and ask God how you should pray. Because you may be praying with the wrong perspective. So many people pray from earth to heaven when Jesus was trying to teach us how to pray from heaven to earth. Earth to heaven is need-based prayer. Heaven to earth is God-will-based prayer. That's why he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Right here. (laughs) Not God, I'm sending up what's going on right here so you can fix it from up there. He said, if I send what's going on up there down here, it'll fix what's down here. (laughs) I've stunned some of you already. I hadn't even gotten started. Praise the Lord. God's going to speak through us, to us, and for us in this house. <laughs> and I want you to stop trying to figure me out, because I hadn't even been able to do that, and I'm 59. <laughs> and I want you to pay attention to what the Spirit is impressing into your spirit because God's going to breathe into your circumstance. He's going to breathe life. You watched him do that with your dad, Brother Moses. Well, that's just the beginning of miracles. That's just the beginning of miracles. See, most people look at miracles and think, wow, that's God. No, that's God's introduction. (laughs) Do you realize that miracles are God's introduction? That's not God's fulfillment. That's God's introduction. Miracles are for the purpose to get people to repent. Because repentance opens heaven. And when heaven gets open, God can do heaven stuff. Miracles aren't your culmination. See, people come in and say, I need a miracle, get a miracle, and don't come back. What you did was is you let God start, and you never let him continue. You never let him actually show you what was in the room. All he did was open the door. That's like going to a brand new house and God saying it's yours and he opens the door and you say, that's nice, I'm going home. (laughs) You know what's missing? Exploration. You know what's missing with people that think they know God? Exploration. How do I know that? They don't spend time with him and it takes time to explore. Just ask Columbus. It takes time. It takes hours hundreds and thousands of hours and days and weeks and months on a journey where you don't turn back. The song doesn't say I won't go backwards. 
It says I won't go back. You know there's a difference, right? You can stay in the church and go backwards. But you're still looking forward. But you can only walk backwards so long before you're going to trip. If you decide to keep going backwards, you'll eventually turn around. And if you turn back, that means you turned your back on God. You don't ever want to do that. You may slip, you may trip, you may go backwards a little bit, but don't ever turn back. <laughs> There's a big difference. There's a big difference. You might get discouraged. You might dis get discombobulated. You might get disoriented. You can do that stepping backwards. I used to watch a guy that used to shout in church backwards. He was amazing. That guy could go backwards. And what's interesting is that's been his struggle the rest of his Christian life. <laughs> I thought, wow, I think I want to go forwards. Because there's a particular creature that goes backwards. You know what he's called? A crab. You ought to know that. You live on the coast. I don't want to be a crab. <laughs> I want God to do something. Form something. Let him form something in you, through you. Let him cause something to begin so it can become. You get that concept? Let him begin something so it can become something. See, you can begin in faith, but you have to become through process of time. Beginning is one thing. It only takes a moment, but becoming is a lifetime because it takes a journey. Peter became, and the way he writes at the end of his life is surely different than the way he spoke at the beginning of his life. He speaks abstractly. He speaks out of context sometimes on the mountain of transfiguration. He speaks blurting out out of emotion. He reacts based on the enemy's attack and the garden chops off a guy's ear because he's a bad soldier. He's a good fisherman and he misses the head and gets the ear. I'm just checking to see where you're at biblically. I can tell him I have to explain a lot of stuff. This. All right. I'll take my time. Except it'll only take me three hours instead of one. So unbuckle your seatbelts and relax. We're going to be here a while. Well, but the quicker you respond, the quicker I'll go. Praise the Lord. So you make the decision how long you want me to preach. Praise the Lord. <laughs> See, you're still trying to figure me out. Genesis 1 and 1. See, you're expecting me to give you a verse so you can stand. I can give you a title and you can do what you've always done. I don't work that way. I just start. And you hadn't noticed, okay? So get used to that. I just start. You know, the time that Jesus read a scripture and tried to talk to him, they almost killed him. That's Luke chapter 4. When he was in the synagogue, he opened the scroll, read it, and they about threw him over the city's edge and tried to kill him. And he he disappeared among them. That's why I don't read scripture very often to start out. <laughs> I don't want to get killed. Praise the Lord. But Genesis, it's very easy. First page in your Bible, of the actual Bible. Genesis 1 and 1 starts out in the beginning. Because there's a beginning to every becoming. 
And if you're going to become like a Peter at the end of your life or the references that you give are about your journey, not about your moments, then you have to take a journey like Peter and plunge somewhere into faith. And somewhere in that journey, you've got to make a decision. I'm plunging into faith because I believe God is going to do more than just my stuff. He's going to transform me. He's going to change my mind, my heart, my soul, my spirit. Do you realize that's why the Gospels, if you search out the Gospels, they teach you about a process of worshiping God, which somebody mentioned earlier. You worship God. What what do they all say? Three of the four Gospels, because the fourth doesn't mention the process. But three of the four Gospels say, worship the Lord with all of your heart. Soul, one says strength first. But they all say mind last. Why? Because the hardest thing to save is your mind. But yet he calls it in Ephesians 6 a helmet of salvation. He says, ultimately, I've got to save your mind. But unless I get to your emotions and save your heart first, I can never get to your mind. So somewhere along your initial emotional decision, you've got to make a decision that ultimately he's going to change my mind. Because the mind is the hardest part to change. That's the stubborn element because that's what's tied to the will of man. The will of man is hard to give up, but you can't go to heaven with your will. There's only one will in heaven. And it's not mine or yours. And somebody else tried to extract their will. His name was Lucifer, and he didn't do so good. He now exists under our feet. And I think that's for two reasons. So you can understand God's power, but you can also understand God's process. Why? Because if you exact your will, you'll end up under somebody else's feet. just a thought, but it seems to be heaven proof. Watch what he says here. In the beginning, everybody say the beginning. The beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you ever get this principle down, the very first phrase of the Bible, you will extract what most people never get a hold of, is that everything in this kingdom starts from heaven and it ends up materializing on the earth. It never starts in the earth. That's why your prayer shouldn't start in the earth. Your faith shouldn't start in the earth. Your faith should be centered on God, not what he does, but who he is. Why? Because if it's centered on what he does, then the only time you'll seek for him is when you need something. And if you live a need-based Christianity... You'll be the most faithful when you're in trouble, which will only proof text one thing. You'll always be in trouble. Why? Because God wants to make sure we're going to be faithful. So if you want to get rid of constant trouble, don't live for God based on what he does. Live for God based on who he is. Look, most everybody, most everybody's going to come to God because they need something. 
There's nobody that comes to God because they got it all together. And the ones that think they have it all together need him the most because that one's called pride. <laughs> and those are the hardest ones to get to come to church. <laughs> Why? Because they already have a God. It's called idolatry. It's the worship of self. <laughs> That's why there's a particular group that title themselves pride. That's the highest form of idolatry. Self. Worship of self. Consummation of the flesh. But watch what God does. See, God never gets an idea from her, says, That's a pretty good idea. Let's try it, Gabriel. When God starts thinking about what's going to happen next upon the earth, he starts thinking based on destiny, not based on our past. God doesn't ever do reactionary type stuff. He's a creative God. So he's always speaking, doing, forming, creating, manifesting based on what's coming, based on destiny, based on forward motion, based on perfection, based on the ultimate goal, based on holiness, power, purity, faith, those things that come from above that are not of the earth as the Bible says. So when God gets to talking, he's not talking based on trying to fix something. He's talking based on destiny, which fixes everything that went wrong. So he says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without void and void, without form, void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The three elements of mankind are these right here. Same thing the earth had trouble with is the same thing humanity has trouble with. What? Without form, which is confusion, or without form, without structure, or without form, without some kind of can't get a handle on it, void and emptiness, the fear thing, the shame thing, the hopeless thing, the I feel empty thing, the I got to have another relationship thing, that's the whole void thing, the darkness thing, that's actually the word confusion, darkness or confusion was upon the face of the deep. What's the very next phrase in the Bible? You got to know it, you can't read it, it's not on the screen. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of this deep or the waters. Why? Because unless you have spiritual movement, you can't get the verbiage of God. God will not talk to you until you allow his atmosphere to create the right environment. Why? Because it causes the filter to change. Spiritual environment from God causes the way that you hear his words to be changed in the order of how he says them. If you want God to talk to you about your situation, get in the spirit of God. Why? Because God doesn't like to talk when somebody is not cultivated by his spirit because he knows the words are going to be misunderstood. 
why they'll be taken upon themselves based on your current situation and you will manipulate what he's saying to try to fit what you're going through when what he's saying has to do with your destiny, not your present. Why? Because he's trying to fix more than just what's wrong. He's trying to fix that and what's coming next and what's coming next and what's coming next. That by the time you get to your destiny, God has transformed things in your life. When God begins to move by his spirit, it comes by the breath of God. Let me title this, the breath of the Spirit, or the breath of God. God's going to breathe for what purpose? To create an environment to speak destiny into your faith chamber. So God's going to breathe, that's his breath, that's his pneuma, that's his spirit, before he speaks. That's why people that say, well, I don't need the Holy Ghost, you're out of your mind. Have you ever been to an author's writing seminar or book fest or, and you listen to the author and the author starts talking and maybe you've read his book and you go to that seminar and you're listening to him talk and he makes a statement from the phrase that you read in his book and then he qualifies and quantifies that statement. You're like, that's what he meant by that. I don't know, maybe you've never been to a book fest or something like that. When you when you hear the author talk and you get his ways and you get his his mode of operation and his flow, you're like, oh, that starts to click and this starts to click. You know what that is? You just gain the human spirits. Amen. The author of the human spirit just got a hold of your mind. You're like, oh, that's how he was forming that phrase. That's what he meant by that chapter. That's what he meant. What do you think you're getting when when you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are getting the spirit of the author. So every time the spirit of God begins to move, God says, hey, let my spirit create the atmosphere because I'm about to speak a world of deliverance into your life. I'm about to set you free. I'm about to loose your mind. Let me get you in my atmosphere to seed it. I'm going to get you into a place where God can speak his very dialogue that will make sense. You know what I hear across the world? I've been to a lot of countries across the world. Fiji was one of them, and no, we did not go on vacation. I had a young man. I'm trying to train a group of young men in Las Vegas where I base out of the city of Grace. I'm just waiting to see how long it takes you to respond to see where you're at. I said, I come from the city of grace because where sin doth abound. <laughs> Thank you. Praise the Lord. And in Las Vegas, I've got a, a young team of ministers that the pastor has allowed me to invest some time into. And I, I made available overseas trips to them just recently. And one of them come up in his ridiculousness. And... Uh, he said, that's great. You going to Bahamas anytime soon? And I knew 
He acted like he was kidding, but I knew he was jabbing. So I looked right back at him. I said, no, but I'm going to its neighbor town, going to Cayman Islands for a crusade. You coming? I was just kidding. (laughs) See, don't kid when God's not kidding. God's not kidding. God's not playing. He wants to deliver you. That's why you're in this house. God's not kidding. He's not playing. He wants to set you free of everything that's tied you down. God's not kidding. God's not playing. He wants to put you in a place that you can't even put in your mind that you'll exist there. God thinks way bigger thoughts than what we think. You know, when he's, remember that statement in Jeremiah when he says, I've been thinking thoughts about you? Good thoughts. You expect it end. Remember that? You know where they were when he said that? They were in Babylon. They were in a fix up to their necks. They had a heathen king, a godless society. Sound familiar? They had an environment that was not conducive to God. And God said, I've been thinking about you lately. You know what they thought? Yeah, you've been thinking how we're going to get destroyed. Why? Because that's all they heard. That's all they had on their mind. We're in captivity. We're in trouble. We can't get out of this situation. And God, when are you going to show up and deliver us? And God sends the prophet and he says, I've been thinking about you. Like, yeah, you've been thinking about us. When you go get us out of this mess. God says, no, you don't understand. I haven't been thinking about you in your current situation. I've been thinking about your destiny. I've been thinking about how stuff's going to get real good real quick, how stuff's going to change, and how you're going to be transformed. And by the time I'm done with you, you're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be above and not beneath. See, God wants, to, God wants to create an environment that's not based on stuff. You know how to appeal to Christians today? Just tell them how much they're going to get blessed. You know who created that? The charismatics. You ever, when's the last time you heard a good old message on sacrifice? Huh? You're having to think a while, aren't you? And when have you ever heard the Sussex related to if you sacrifice, the blessing is automatic? Huh? Don't worry. Don't get nervous. I'm not preaching on sacrifice. I don't know what I'll preach tomorrow, but I may not preach on sacrifice then, but I may. Why? Because sacrifice is looked at as what you're losing, what you're giving up. And we are fixed on what we're getting instead of what we're making room for. I don't ever give up something. When God asks me for a loss, I look at it as an investment. Why? Because all I've done is make room for whatever he's got on his mind. If God says you're about to lose this, I'm like, what am I about to see happen? Because whatever it is that you're saying I'm going to lose, all I've done is create space. 
And if I create space, I'm positive hell's not going to fill it. If I create space, I'm positive the world's not going to fill it. If I create space, I'm positive my neighbor's not going to fill it. If I create space, I'm positive there's a God that's about to step into my world and cause those things that are not to become. So when I begin to feel the breath of God and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, I pay attention. Like, okay, what's coming out of heaven? And do I have enough space to receive it? Because if I don't, I'm going to start making space right now. What can I throw out of this ship? You know, I, I, I bought an old boat because I thought I'd, they say the two best days of owning a boat is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. I'm almost starting to believe that. Praise the Lord. Two happiest days, I guess, is what they say. And I said, I'll be happy when I sell it because then I get to get a bigger one. Praise the Lord. I'm that crazy. Praise God. I want more. But I thought, I'm going to do a couple repairs. So I thought I'd take up the carpet to put new carpet down. Then I found rotten wood. I thought I'd take up the rotten wood so I could just replace the little parts. And then I found rotten sponge. I thought I ain't taking up the rotten sponge. That I've had enough of this rottenness business. <laughs> it's like, God, whatever it is, it's under these boards. I'm getting rid of it because I'm making space. I think I did find the bottom of that barrel. <laughs> you know, when that lady found the bottom of the barrel, you know what she found when God got a hold of it? Meal. Don't be afraid to empty the barrel. Don't ever be afraid to empty yourself before God because you will always in God find meal at the bottom of the barrel. See, people get hesitant, and the older they get in God and the more they think they've spent with time with God, they, they think they mature to the point where they can't empty themselves because they think, well, you know, I'm mature. I've been in the church. You know, I've been a Christian all my life, and, you know, I don't need to go that deep anymore. Don't, don't be afraid of emptying yourself. See, I, somebody told me something 30 years ago when I started evangelizing. This actually next month will make our 30th year. And, and they said this statement. It was Brother Anthony Mangan from Pentecostals of Alexandria. He was in the middle of a message, and he said, I promise you something. I promise you this, that if you will empty yourself ministering to others every time, God will make sure you remain full. And I took that as a prophetical word. I said, okay, God, if that be true, and I believe the man of God to be true, amen, that I'm going to live that, and I have lived that for 30 years. And God has never Never let the barrel run dry. Never. Now, I thought there were a few close calls, but it wasn't even close to God. Why? Because even after something seems like it's dead for four days, he can still resurrect it. Just ask Lazarus. There's something about the nature of his spirit that I want you to get a hold of this morning because I we're sitting in the restaurant last night and we we're in the middle of eating and just out of heaven, the Lord came down and spoke into my spirit 
And he said, the breath of life. So I, I thought I had a message called the breath of life or something. So I went and looked. There, there was nothing there. And I thought, hmm, okay. What are you trying to tell me? He said, the breath of life, the breath of my spirit, how it starts, it ends. He said, it's my breath that starts it, and it's my breath that will get you out of here. It's my breath that begins it. It's my breath that will keep you. It's my breath that sustains you. It's my breath that opens the platform for me to speak to you. He said, help my people understand the breath of my spirit is more than just receiving the Holy Ghost. It's a lifestyle. It's a life way. It's a life choice. It's a life determination. It's something you exercise. How many of you just breathe once a week? If you do, you will be looking a different color very shortly. He said, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Do you realize wherever God moves that hell cannot speak? <laughs> Unless you let flesh get involved and the people aren't smart enough to recognize it. <laughs> but watch what he does in chapter 2, verse 7, Genesis. He's now created the worlds around us that we live upon and he has now created foundation, structure, and formation and he has breathed life and spoken over the worlds and created order and structure and everything's in place. And once everything's in place, around what he's about to create, he creates. So if God's taking a long time to answer something you're going through, don't get impatient. He's speaking to the worlds around you. That way when he does what he's going to do in you, everything around you is already in place. That's why God seems to take so long. He's not taking long. He's working all the details out so when you walk into them, you don't have to wait some more. The waiting is actually the trusting of the faction when God's doing stuff behind the scenes. That way when the scene shows up, everything, all the props are in place. Wouldn't you love to watch a theatrical drama and they start the show and they're still getting all the props up? Of course not. You'd be saying, what's wrong with these people? Don't they know how to run a theater? Why is, he, why is that guy barely painting the backdrop? What's wrong? Shouldn't they have done this before we showed up? Hello? Somebody be looking for a refund. Can I get a witness? God says, I don't want you asking for no refund. So I'm going to make sure I get all the props ready. So when I put you on the stage by the faith that you had and by the injection that I gave you, everything is already established. Do you think God sent Israel across the Red Sea before the enemies were prepared to be destroyed? Nah, he got the enemies prepared and positioned to be destroyed before the waters ever opened. Yeah, and you're having your Moses experience, Brother Moses. The Red Sea's opening right before your eyes. As your dad is getting healed by the hand of the Lord, the Red Sea's opening right before your eyes. 
Bible says that the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground. And then he did something. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Essentially, he gave him his spirit. He got the Holy Ghost in our terms. It'd be the same as us getting the Holy Ghost. Why? Holy Spirit in the Greek means the breath of God. It literally means the breath of God. So when you say, oh, I don't need to speak in tongues, I don't need to talk into what you're saying is, I don't need God's breath to work through me today. That's why I make it a practice to try to talk in tongues every day. Because I kind of try to make it a practice to breathe every day. Because if you ain't breathing, guess what? You ain't living. That's right. That's right. Why do you think they try to get a baby to, to, to scream out? It can't talk yet, but it sure can scream. And they either poke. Nowadays, they give you a choice. Poke it in the feet or spank it in the behind. Because some say spanking it in the behind is abuse. I say poking it in the feet is abuse. Take your pick. <laughs> so they come out. They give them a little tap. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get that baby to respond. Why? What are they trying to get? They're trying to get a sound. Why? Because the sound identifies what? That they can scream? No, that they have breath. When you hear that little eh, 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 everybody's going, ah. They're getting all excited. Why? That sound tells you, hey, the baby's breathing. You know why we talk in tongues? That's the sound that tells everybody the baby's breathing. Life has come. It doesn't just come to make somebody scream, make somebody talk. No. It's come as a determination to what's about to happen next. You see the next phrase? I could preach on this one phrase for the next hour. When God breathed into the nostrils of, nostrils of Adam the breath of life, look at these words. And man, what? Became. See, there's something about getting something in an instant, but the whole thing about becoming, it's a lifespan. When he became a living soul, he stepped in to the destiny world of what the breath provides. That didn't make sense to some of you. Let me rephrase it. When God breathed into his spirit and he opened his eyes, he actually graduated into now the next hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of everything that God would do for his life. When you get the Holy Ghost, that's not just God causing you to be born. That is God allowing us to step into a destiny. That is the becoming faction of the spirit world that says what I just put into you is going to carry you tomorrow. It's going to carry you next week. It's going to carry you next month. It's going to carry you next year. It's going to carry you the next decade and the next decade and the next century. It's going to carry you all the days of your life. That's why when Peter speaks back to the congregation, amen, at Jerusalem at Ephesus at different places that that letter got to when Peter talks to them at the end of life. He says, oh, let me tell you about the 
work of sanctification of the Spirit. Let me tell you about the long haul of this breath. The thing I got on the day of Pentecost and had the privilege to preach it and 3,000 came into the church that day in addition to the 120 that were in the other upper room. Let me give you the inclusion to that moment in time. I just thought it was a overwhelming moment and God gave us components to do what he did. He said, now I realize at the end of my life I'm about to be crucified upside down. He didn't know that, but he was willing to give his life to the point that he gave it. Amen. As they said, we're going to crucify. He said, I don't want to be crucified like Christ. I, I'm not Christ, but why don't you just turn me upside down? Amen. Because I want to be crucified that way. I don't think I have the honor to be crucified like the Lord. So he chose to be crucified upside down. But he gets to the end of his life and he says, oh, man. Was it worth it? Because what God sanctified through the last 40 years of my life could not have been processed in 40 days. God loosed upon me a destiny. That's why you don't want to ever miss a week of church if you can help it. Why? Because you never know at what juncture in the process God has decided he's going to connect you with that deliverance that you've been praying about for 10 years, for 15 years, for 7 years, for 5 years. Don't ever say you're too busy for God. Don't ever say that. Because if you'll notice, you've been chosen out of a pretty large population and he has handpicked you to be in this atmosphere. It wasn't you saying, oh, I'm going to go find God. No, it was God opening the door so you could find him. <laughs> and Adam became, and you go 4,000 years fast forward, Now, Jesus has been manifest in the flesh by his breath. And it's interesting that if you look up the word Holy Ghost or ghost, as the word is described in the Greek as pneuma, which is the same equal breath that God breathed into Adam, it shows up in the New Testament. And the first time it shows up is with Mary. And she asks the question and she says, Look, I'm not married. How shall this thing be? There's a big difference between asking a question and questioning God. Zechariah, who should have known better because he was a priest of the temple and he was responsible for prayer, and he said to Gabriel six months prior to this moment, he says to Gabriel, how do I know this is true? After Gabriel tells him, you're going to have a son. The son's name is going to be John, not Zechariah the second. You don't choose the name. When you get a heaven destiny, you don't choose the journey. You just choose to walk it. Why? God knows what's best. And, and he said, look, his name's going to be John. And you know what You know what the priest said? The high priest said, how do I know you're telling the truth? How do I know this is true is what he said to him which proves that he was questioning God, not asking a question. Why? Because when you question God, it's because you have doubt. When you ask God a question, it's because you just don't understand. 
big difference. Don't ever approach God with doubt. He can't communicate through doubt. He can only communicate through faith. And so the angel looked at him and said, you know what, just for that, I'm going to shut your mouth for six months. And you know, we prayed that prayer over some people. God, would you please shut their mouth because if you don't, I'm about to. <laughs> and it still didn't work. But when God says it, you ain't talking. And Zechariah, how many months did he go dumb for? Six. Six months. You know when the angel Gabriel returned? Six months later. <laughs> so God put the church on silent. On silent mode. He put the cell phone on silent mode. <laughs> and he said, I'll return. And when I return, I don't want any doubt. So look at what he did. He went to the elder first to see how he would respond. And since the older generation didn't respond correctly, he went to the next generation. He shows up at Mary's house. That's the next generation. She's probably 17 years old. Some say less, some say more. I'm not counting. But she's somewhere pretty young. And God says, let's see how you do. Same angel, same God, same spirit. And he says, here's what I'm about to do. I am about to be manifested upon the earth. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So Mary's just blown away. She's like, oh, my God. What, what in the world? I, I know you can do anything, God, but wow, this is crazy. And she doesn't question God. She doesn't doubt. She's too afraid to doubt. Okay. Why? Because new converts are too afraid to doubt. It's the old converts that have trouble. They got too used to it. They got too used to how church is supposed to be. They got too used to how God moves. They got too used to how things are. And so they came with a mind that says, I know what's going to happen next. Don't ever get that with God because I don't know what he's about to do next. I don't know what he's about to change next. I don't know what he's about to transform next. I don't know what's about to show up next. That's, I want to keep that new convert spirit. That, that's where it actually got reignited because I was raised in the church. I think I was born under a pew. Actually, I'm kidding. But it seemed that way because we were always in church. And when mom and dad fasted, we fasted. No, no milk bottles, no candy, no, oh, it's going to get quiet now. Praise the Lord. Was it something I said? <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, it, we were raised with this whole thing. And I'm, I'm 59, so I've had 50-something years of church. I've had a lot of church, and I know how church, quote, unquote, is supposed to work. But when I came to Boston, and I came back to the Lord after four years of making an ignorant decision, and I came back to Boston at the church in Boston on the East Coast, I saw a congregation of a bunch of new converts, and I thought, oh, my God, I am so sorry. I did not realize what I had left. I did not realize this was so pure and rich and holy and just and true. I did not realize how all these young people, all these, amen, peers that are worshiping God, bouncing off the walls, are teaching me that this thing should never get common or old. 
And it really revived a principle in my mind that when I come to the house of the Lord, I don't make it an assumption that I'm going to preach. I don't make it an assumption that I'm going to know what's supposed to come next. I don't make it an assumption that I'm going to preach 40 minutes and look at my watch because I'm worried about you leaving. I'm not. Why? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God. This is the work of heaven on earth. This is the work of God's movement in his end time. This is God's church. This is God's love. This is God's destiny. This is God's passion. And so if God's trying to give you, then you have to have the right atmosphere to receive it. He shows up and ironically that pneuma or ghost or spirit that's tied to Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is found 350 times in the New Testament. And ironically, the first time is when Mary is having a conversation with Gabriel. And she asks the question, how shall this thing be? I don't know anybody. I'm not married. In other words. And here's his response. He said, let me teach you how heaven works. The Holy Ghost shall overshadow you. And when you sense the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost, that's the environment where spiritual things are birthed. He's like, okay, I know my signal. That's the signal. When I feel the Holy Ghost overshadow me, I'll know this is it. Well, the only scripture I can find after studying this several times over, and I may be mistaken, but I don't think I am, is about four to six months later when Mary walks into her cousin's house, Elizabeth. And when she walks in, Elizabeth's already been pregnant, Thank God not with twins. Imagine twins trying to do a somersault. Because the Bible says that upon Mary's salutation, that John the Baptist to be in Elizabeth's womb did a somersault. Because the Holy Ghost came into her womb. And when the Holy Ghost came upon that womb, Mary felt it, said, this is it. I'm being seated right now with Jesus the Christ. Mm. Why? Because she sensed the environment of the Spirit. What I'm trying to teach you this morning is it's time to sense the movements of the Spirit when you're outside of this building. I'm trying to teach this congregation it's time to graduate. That you don't deal with another atmosphere in your house that's different than the atmosphere that's at the church. That you don't create a different environment on your job that's in the atmosphere that's in this house. That you don't create a different atmosphere in your car than what's going on when you come to the house of the Lord. Why? Because God ready to begin to move and begin to speak in locations that you have not yet even defined. 
He hadn't even loosed the Holy Ghost yet. But yet he says to them in John chapter 20, verse 22, when he had resurrected from the dead, and he now is meeting them inside of a room where they were locked for fear of the Jews. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Jesus had already loosed his breath off the cross. He had died, and now he's risen again, and they're still freaked out. Why? Because most people don't recognize right away what's actually come within their reach. Why? Because they're still consumed on the stuff that's going on around them. And instead of being focused, they're distracted by the issue, and that keeps them a hand's distance away from what actually already showed up. Most of the time, and I would say practically all of the time, and matter of fact, the scripture even says all of the time because it references like this, that God knows what before what? He knows the end before what? Which has to mean only one thing, that there's always an answer before your crisis ever starts. God can never allow a trial unless the victory shows up first. Why? Because he knows the end. Before. It says before, right? Well, that means that the victory starts before the crisis. The healing started before the stroke. The miracle started before the problem. The answer started before the question. You got to get something in your spirit that if you're going through the trial of your life that the miracle has already shown up in your atmosphere. You say, well, why don't I have the miracle yet? Because you're still focused on the tragedy. You're still focused on what went wrong instead of what showed up. I just blew some of your mind. You're, you're trying to process it. You're going, wait, that, things don't work that way. That's because you're thinking earth to heaven. I'm teaching you heaven to earth. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And he's pouring his thought process into your spirit. So your approach changes. So I just tell the Lord, I don't need you to explain stuff because God's not in the business of explaining himself. He's in the business of revealing himself. Why? Because if he explains himself, all he's done is assimilate to what you're asking. If he explains himself, all he's done is taking what you've got on your mind and giving you a resolve. That's an explanation. Why? Because you presented a question, a circumstance, a scenario. And so God explains it. And you get satisfied with your current dilemma. So if all God ever does is explain himself, all he's ever going to be able to fulfill is the ability of your brain, which is only 10%. The science has proven that up to 10% functions. And sometimes I wonder about me, okay? 
much less about anybody else. I'm just, I'm looking at me going, I think I got 2% going on right now, Lord. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I'm like 2% milk. <laughs> help me out, Jesus. I need, you know where I believe the other 90% comes into being? I believe that it does. And here's where I believe it. Because do you think that only 10% of Adam's brain worked before he sinned? Or do you think 100% of his brain worked before he sinned? I think 100% of his brain worked before he sinned. Because when God breathed into him, he didn't say, I'm giving you 10%. When God breathed into him, he gave him dominion. He gave him power. He gave him authority. He gave him position. And he gave everything that was around him was already set in place when he gave it to him. He said, matter of fact, I'm, I'm doing this so you can take care of what I've already taken care of. Right? So after he sinned, he lost 90%. So guess what? When he breathes on you the second time, when you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you begin to allow the breath of God to function in your life, it's activating the other 90%. That's why you need to get in the spirit because the creative ideas from God to run businesses, to manage destinies, to do things that are beyond our ability mentally begin to get activated when you get in the spirit. You know where gifts and talents come from God? They don't come because you're smart. They don't come because you went to college. They don't come because you have multiple degrees. They came because you were in the spirit. And when you got in the spirit, God began to impart stuff that you're not even qualified to receive. Why? Because you always get gifts above your qualification. You know what a gift's for? That's why it's called a gift. A gift is given in love. It's not gift based on our qualities or our qualifications. God doesn't say, let's see what gifts you have when you come to the church. Can you fill out this application, please, and mark these things down to see what you can be used for in the church? That's a man-made philosophy. Who came up with that? I'm sorry if you do that here, but that's ridiculous. Let's find out what you're good at. Why? So you can cover up what you're bad at? God said, no, nah, I work the other way around. I'm going to give you a gift because I love you, and then I expect you to work on your character to match your gift. And when your character matches your gift, I'll give you another one. And when that character matches that gift, I'll give you another one. And when that character matches that gift, I'll give you another one. And as long as you keep growing your character, I'll keep loosing my gifts. My God, I feel a witness of the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you wondering why you're not growing, I'll tell you why you're not growing. You took advantage of the gifts and didn't work on your character to match them, and you're expecting God to give you more, and he hasn't. Why? Because he doesn't want to destroy us. If he would unload all the gifts he has on his mind for us, and we didn't match our character to the ones he already gave us, he would kill us. That's self-destruction. God's not in the business of destroying what he creates. He's in the business of breathing into it. So they're standing there after the resurrection. They're locked up. Why? Because they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because they just saw their Jesus crucified a few days ago. So they're scared. Who wouldn't be? Why? Because what's the next thought in your mind? I'm next. Who wouldn't think that? You walked with him. Matter of fact, Peter was the one that they said, oh, you were one of, one of his. Oh, no, 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 no. And they said, oh, no, yeah, and then he started to get mad. You know, when people get mad, you know you're hitting a button. So it depends on the response you want. Either keep pressing the button or leave. 
Because if you make them too mad, they might start cursing. Think about it. This is how merciful God is, that Peter cusses 50 days before he's used in one of the greatest moments of his life. Why? Because God wasn't concerned about handling his past. He was concerned about making sure he got on his destiny. Why? Because the destiny has provision to handle anything that happened in your past. So they're all scared to death. They're in this room, locked up, John chapter 20. (laughs) And then he freaks them out more and he comes walking through the wall. Now think about this for a moment. You're already scared. You think they're coming for you next because you're going to get crucified and somebody comes walking through your wall. What would you do? Oh, how you doing? Been expecting you. No, I don't think so. Ah! What is it? It's a, it's, it's the Lord. Everybody picks on Thomas and calls him Doubting Thomas. He wasn't there. They were all doubting too. Why? Because doubt will always make you fearful. <laughs> so he comes walking through the wall. They're kind of freaking. <laughs> okay. Is this him or is this not him? Oh, no, I'd believe if he walked in. Let me tell you. When fear has a hold of your brain, you see stuff that sometimes isn't there. And you don't see stuff that sometimes is there. Why? Because storms will make you see stuff beyond the stuff that's actually there. And sometimes you'll see stuff and wonder if it's there. And they are scared to death. Kawhi, these people ain't playing. These Romans ain't playing. They will crucify people. They got a visual. And it's fresh. And he walks through the wall. And they ain't coloring either. They walk through the wall and Jesus is standing in front of them now. And he had just died three days ago. Imagine if your puppy dies. Hmm? And an hour later he resurrects. I bet you something will happen to you right here. Why? Because my dad died. And about 15 minutes later resurrected. I watched it happen. You see, there's something about this moment in time when the Spirit of God shows up and he walks through this wall and he says, don't be afraid. Peace be unto you. Why? Because peace is the parameter that heals fear. That's why it's called the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Why? Because it's gone beyond the fraction of your imagination that caused a fracture in your spirit. And he said, I'm going to lose peace in this room because it's going to settle all the questions you've had for the last 72 hours. It's going to settle them out. Peace will travel with you. So stop fretting. Stop fretting. Stop fretting. Peace will follow you. It is written, it is spoken, and now you need to embrace it. And he speaks to them, and the Bible says, listen to this, 
Read it. It's verse, what was it, 22? Is that what I gave you guys? Verse number 22, 2022 of the book of John and the scripture. And when he said this, he, he breathed on them. When's the last time you remember that happening? Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7. Why? You know what he's saying? I am the same God who breathed on Adam. And I'm coming to breathe on you again. And this is the form that's going to take place next. And he breathed on them and he gave them understanding. You know why it was so easy for them to receive the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost? Because they felt the same breath. The same breath they felt in John 20 on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. When they felt that breath come through the room, they thought that's him. That's him. That's the same breath we felt in that room when he breathed on us. It's him. Why? It's the same spirit. You know when it's the same spirit. You can have your eyes closed and your wife comes into your room. You know it's her, don't you? Not because she's complaining. No, no, no. You know it's her because you know that atmosphere. And that atmosphere comes in Acts chapter 2, and they're like, it's him. This is easy. It's time to receive the Holy Ghost. That's why it was so easy for them. The reason it's so hard for people to get the Holy Ghost sometimes is because they're not familiar with the atmosphere. And it's so often true that until they become familiar with the atmosphere, it's hard to receive what's in the atmosphere. And if you're only getting it once a week, No wonder God can't impart to you on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday. And by the time you get to Sunday, you're dragging and the, the song leader's having to pull you up just to get it get you to worship. And he's having to say, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like a hundred times. And finally, te levantas de tu sueño. Dices, ay, santo Dios, necesito alabar a Dios poquito aquí en esta casa, which is interpreted, God, I better wake up in a hurry because I got to get to worshiping God real quick. Look here. Amen. And why, why is that happening, unfamiliarity? Why? Because if you're already plugged into the Spirit and you walk in on a Sunday morning, sleepy or not, as soon as you recognize the breath of God, you're going, it's here. This is Him. This is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. What was he talking about? Authority. He wasn't talking about being God. He was talking about the dimension of authority that they were about to receive. And just like he gave it to Adam, he was giving it to them. That's why Adam could name the animals. And whatever he named them, that was their name. Why? Why would he give him that privilege? Because he gave him the tools that were wrapped up in the breath. Because when he gave him the breath came the understanding, came the wisdom, came the knowledge, came the authority, came the power, came the dimensions of God from heaven. That's why Adam could look at an animal and he didn't name him what he wanted. He named him what the breath was giving him to name it. Watch this. Jesus is, and let me backtrack just a moment. But when Jesus was on the cross, you remember when he's dying on the cross 
and he had cried again with a loud voice in chapter 27 of the book of Matthew in your Bible. And he, the Bible says that he cried out with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost, or as he says it in Luke, into thy hands I commend or deposit my pneuma. So when he died and gave his last breath, he wasn't just dying. He actually was giving out his spirit. <laughs> so when he loses his spirit, there are three immediate responses, and none of them are by the people that knew him. They were actually all by components that knew him the least as far as the way we consider it as a human being. Peter didn't recognize it because he wasn't there. Most of them weren't there. John was at the cross. Why? Because the people that hang out at the foot of the cross always get more than others. <laughs> but watch this. It happens. He dies, gives out his last breath. This is very interesting to me because the Bible says that immediately the rocks. Remember he had told them before, if you don't praise me, the very what? Rocks will cry out. See, the earth already recognized the move of his spirit because they've known it since the days of creation when God said, let there be light, and there was light. The earth is already familiar with the movements of God. They experienced it before humanity experienced it. So when he loses his breath, which is the pneuma found 350 times in the New Testament, he actually loses the active ingredient upon the earth. So now it becomes available 50 days before Pentecost. It's in the atmosphere. I want you to say those words. It's in the atmosphere. You see, your miracle is already in the atmosphere. Your response is already in the atmosphere. Your resolve is already in the atmosphere. What God's going to do in your life next is already in the atmosphere. What God's going to perform in your world is already in the atmosphere. The raises are just the byproduct of the atmosphere. The miracles to your body already, that's just the byproduct of the atmosphere. It's seated inside of what's sent. It's seated inside of what's sent. And he loses it, and everybody's looking at his death. They're looking at what they lost, not what has been loosed. They're so consumed at a dying Christ that they don't notice a loosing moment. I love Matthew's writing because he actually skips the whole burial part. He goes actually, he goes straight from the death of Jesus to the resurrection. If you go right around the 50th verse, it's interesting because the next thing he mentions after his death, he actually mentions that many that were asleep in Jerusalem after the resurrection came out of their graves, went into the city, and ministered to many. It says many, not two, not three, many. You wonder, wow, where'd they end up? My wife asked me that the other day. I said, stop asking me questions like that. Say, you know I can't answer that. <laughs> See, I'm just wondering. So, what do you think? She said, I think they may have gone up with Jesus in the ascension. I said, good enough guess is mine. <laughs> so, I don't know where they went. Who cares? I don't care about that stuff. I care that it happened. Right. Why? Because if that happened, anything can happen. Right. So, you got to think. Not all of those people that came out of those graves were three days dead. Some were five years dead. Some were 10, some maybe 20. Nobody knows. It doesn't say. It just says that many were in the graves. Can you imagine Uncle John showing up at your house 20 years later? 
Uncle John's at the door. Now, you're insane, sweetheart. He's been dead for 20 years. She said, I'm telling you, Uncle John's at the door. I've seen his picture on our hallway wall for 10 years. That's Uncle John. He's at the door. Ay, mija, estás bien loca, wait. No, hombre, you're nuts. They come, and Uncle John steps into the house, and he starts ministering to his family. Can you imagine that? I mean, you ever thought about that? I've sat down and thought about that a lot of times. I thought, ay, señor, sit down, Mother Teresa. You ain't got nothing on this moment. <laughs> I'm telling you. Many got up out of the graves. I thought, wow. So think about this. He's resurrected. Many are out of the graves ministering to people, and you got a bunch of disciples locked in a room all freaked out over what's going to happen to them next. What bad thing next is going to happen to me? Where do you get that mentality from? It's not from God. How many of you ever woke up saying, what good thing's going to happen next? No, most people don't do that. Most people have good stuff happening. They say something bad's about to happen. Too many good things have been happening. Something bad's about to happen to our house because you got so used to the bad stuff, you didn't get used to the expectation that happens through faith. Why? Because faith is breathed by the Spirit. And when the Spirit creates an atmosphere to, to gain some stuff, it's so you can gain a culture, an understanding, a process, a way of life. So you'll get out of the world mentality that says something bad has to happen because too many good things have happened. You know, David woke up. David woke up in pretty atrocious situation, saying, "This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it." He wasn't in a good condition when he said that. He was not in a good setting when he said that. But the reason he said it was, "I've got to speak above my circumstance, lest my circumstance makes me speak." got to speak above my circumstance. Why? Because God's going to bear witness with my spirit so he can help my words become connected with his destiny. Am I making sense to you this morning? Watch this. This whole Numa thing he releases upon the earth. The Bible says the earth started quaking. But that didn't even shake Mary. Mary and Salome, and John, and everybody else. Earth starts quaking. You'd have thought, whoa, what's going on? Something's happening. No. They were so consumed with what they lost, they didn't notice what was loosed. You can get so consumed with what you lost that you don't notice the angels that got loosed. You don't notice the provision that got loosed. You don't know the destinies that got loosed. You don't notice, hey man, what God's about to do that just got loosed around you. Don't get so consumed with what got cut off that you can't notice what's left in the ground. Job has that scenario scripted out in the 14th chapter of the book of Job. He said, there is hope of a tree, my favorite scripture for the northeast and the northwest. Tree hugging, loving people. I tell them, I got a word for you. There's hope of a tree if it be cut down. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's what he said. There's hope of a tree if it be cut down. I thought, huh? That doesn't make sense. How many of you ever notice a stump on the way to church? No, you'll probably notice the tree cut down next to it. 
Why? Because most people, by nature, will look at what's cut off instead of what's left. He said, don't you be so consumed with the tree that got cut off. It doesn't have any life left in it. He said, what has the life left in it is the trunk that's left. He said, I'm going to produce more out of the trunk that was in the tree that got cut off. That's what he was telling Job. He said, you watch what I'm about to do. You think you lost so much, and I know you lost family. I know you lost components. I know you lost cattle. I know you lost your houses. They got taken in a matter of a day or two, and everything's gone. And I know it's consuming. He said, but don't you pay attention to your losses greater than what's left. I'm about to take the trunk of what's left. And he said, I'm going to produce a tender branch. And he said, out of the tender branch, it shall never go away. He said, whatever you lost, I'm going to replace it with something eternal. Whatever you lost will be replaced by something eternal in God. I have friends that I have lost that were my age in the ministry to diseases and sicknesses. And I thought, oh, God. He said, whatever you lose in my kingdom is not lost. I will always make sure there's a replacement. And the value of the replacement will be eternal, not temporal. Beauty. Rocks started to rip apart. The Bible says they rent. That means they... Just blew up, got torn apart. You know who else noticed? There was one man. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't follow Jesus. I don't know that he ever saw a miracle. He was actually part of the crew that helped to crucify him. He's a centurion, which means he was responsible for 100 soldiers. And it wasn't just one person that said this because the Bible says, and they said. It doesn't say, and he said. It says, and they said, which means, and I understand it because I was in the Air Force, when your sergeant or your commander said something, it's called a cadence. He gave a cadence. You repeated the cadence exactly like it was spoken. You didn't try to alter because if you did, he would alter you. Who was that voice? Who said that? Nobody wanted to say a word. <laughs> I, I've been... I've been laid out verbally by a guy that was about this tall <laughs> that insulted me more than instructed me. And I thought, man, I'd hit you right now, but I know you're a black belt. <laughs> and I preserve my life today by keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> I had a sergeant like that. <laughs> but when this centurion looked around. Everybody's crying over the loss that's around the cross, but he sees the rocks, and he feels the earthquake, and he's thinking in his mind over the hundreds that have been crucified under his command, and he's remembering, I ain't never seen anybody go through death like this, and I've never seen rocks rent, and I've never seen earthquake. And as he's standing next to the cross looking up at Jesus who is now dead, he says, truly, this was the Son of God. And in perfect cadence, here comes the rest of the soldiers around the cross. Truly, 
This was the Son of God. Mary's not saying it. Salome's not saying it. John's not saying it. Peter's not saying it. Matthew's not saying it because they're so consumed with what's lost. They can't notice what just got loosed. But somebody that was disconnected from the relationship that had no personal ties can see the obvious. It's like the uncle that comes and says, Oh, mira como creció. The uncle comes by and says, Man, look how big your boy's got. And you're like, Yeah, they have gotten big, huh? <laughs> you didn't even notice. Like my daughter that some of you know, she just turned 18. They know him. <laughs> we used to come preach, and she was just a little baby in a stroller, and they remember that. <laughs> She's now past her first year of college, 18 years old, and I'm going, Santo. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Thank God she's not interested in the boyfriend because she doesn't believe in that. She says, if they want to get that serious, they better get some money. Because this is going to be long haul. <laughs> she, she doesn't do short hauls. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you. And I own two guns. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> What am I trying to tell you? That there's something that has come among you and God wants you to shift your faith from just fixing what's wrong to becoming aware of what's here. Instead of just fixing what's wrong, he says, let's graduate. Let's begin to show your spirit the volume of things that are here. That way you don't feel like you're having to strain for one thing. And that I can teach you the principle of multiplicating. That when atmosphere of my world shows up, inside of it is way more than what you're asking for. He said, you know, ask and ye shall receive, seek and ye shall find. The problem, he says, is you're, you're asking based on your limitations instead of based on my allotment. He said, I'm trying to cause your faith to begin to stretch into my allotment, into what I have already made provision of in my mind for your life. But you keep asking me based on your dilemma and your losses. You're consumed with what your loss has brought and you're just trying to replenish your loss and I am actually trying to abundantly supply for your environment. See, God's an environmentalist. He's trying to protect his atmosphere. He's concerned that it doesn't get contaminated with limited faith and little faith. He's concerned that it doesn't get contaminated with things of this earth and things that are so small and things that are so minuscule because he's so big. I heard story after story by my bishop in California where I just came from their camp meeting and he was reiterating some of the stories that have come about in our district, particularly on the West Coast, where literally one of the stories, a man was just handed the keys to the church. He said, well, I, I don't know. They said, no, no, the, you've been using the building, renting it, and we know you don't have a building, and our 
congregations down to like five people. So we, we, we want you to have this building. They said, well, how much is it going to cost? You know, because that's the first thing we ask God. Yeah. What's it going to cost us? Why do you care? Why, why should you care what it's going to cost? Well, well I, I'm a little worried about what I'm going to give up. See, the concept is earth-driven. It's based on the product of what can fulfill what I'm going through. Instead of God, I believe you. What do you want? Because whatever it is that you want, what do you want, me to go on a 40-day fast? Sure, that's fine. I'll eat later. I'll make up for it. I know how to do that. I'm American. Praise the Lord. We have these things called buffets. You know, Paul was buffeted and we're buffeted. Praise the Lord. And like Johnny Jane said, I'm fixing to buffet the buffet. <laughs> and I'm telling you, what? It's not hard. You say, but you don't know what I'm going through. No, you don't know what's been loose. You say, yeah, but you don't understand my circumstance. And now you're trying to compare the minimal effect and you're trying to compare it with the maximum impartation. And God's saying, do you understand that what I've loosed among you, get a hold of it. Get a hold of it. Learn to walk in it. So you know what I do now? I make my request known last, never first. I never wake up, ever. I teach our daughter this. We never wake up asking God for stuff. Never. Our morning devotion never consists of asking God for stuff. Our bedtime prayer consists of, God, whatever you consider, the day is gone. Lastly, we simply ask for these things. We put them on the table. Thy will be done in earth. Why? Because if I ask for them first, I'm going to think about it all day. But if I worship him first and I adore him first and I praise him first and I believe him first, I'm going to believe him all day. I'm going to worship him all day. I'm going to praise him all day. I'm going to have lips of praise in my heart. It took them several days to adjust and readjust. They'd fished all night, caught no fish. It was interesting to me. The only time they went fishing after they met the Lord was when they were backslid. I'm like, God, can I go fishing? I don't want to be backslid. <laughs> I like to fish, <laughs> but I don't want to be backslid. <laughs> it's not that you're backslid if you go fishing. Don't get all messed up. <laughs> and they're fishing and they caught no fish and he says try the right side you know what they said they thought for a moment looked at each other all of a sudden John looks at Peter he says, I recognize this voice. It's come back. <laughs> it's among us again. Now what I'm trying to get you to do 
once again, recognize the voice. Recognize the atmosphere. Get used to it. Like when you first came, or if you just first came, let this be an introduction to a lifestyle that forever is going to turn your world right side up. God's not going to fix everything overnight because you didn't mess it up overnight. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> so don't ask God to do a magic trick. That's called sleight of hand. I'm from the city that does that. Amen. They're masters at it. David Copperfield, there ain't nothing better, according to Brother Jeff Arnold. He is the best magician in the world, it's declared. Who knows? That prob probably is debatable because that may be sleight of mouth. <laughs> but they know how to do sleight of hand. Don't ask God to do sleight of hand. Why? He's not creating facades. He's creating destinies. And he's going to take time to build your destiny. Take the trip. Take the trip. We have such a fall-off ratio in Christendom because people are just trying to seek for what God can fix instead of fix what can be transformed by his presence. And that takes you know, we say we don't have time, but we'll sit down and watch a two-hour movie. Right? We say we don't have time, but we'll go to the mall. It got quiet. No se ponga muy silencios. Don't get too quiet now. I'll know where you're living. <laughs> huh? We say we don't have time, but we have time. Because we make time for things that entertain our flesh. And I'm not telling you that's sin. That's not my point. My point is that we do have time. So why don't you make time this week and try it, at least for seven days. It's a trial period. <laughs> All of you like that free trial period, right? And 30-day memberships you forget to cancel, and now you're mad 90 days later because they charge you. Can I get a witness in the house somewhere? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. You didn't do your diligent, put it in your calendar to remind yourself to cancel the 29th day? Yeah, now I'm talking your language, huh? Pensabas que no sabía. I know. I know how that works. Why don't you do that with God and don't cancel the membership? Why don't you tell God for the next seven days, God, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to explore your atmosphere. I'm going to explore the dimension that has been loosed among us this week. So I'm telling you, when it shows up, I can sense it. And it showed up at the restaurant last night when we were sitting there eating that nice meal that your son recommended. Good recommendation, son. Nice place. And we were eating dinner, and I wasn't thinking about what to preach. I was eating dinner. When I'm eating dinner, I'm into my dinner. I enjoy food. Praise the Lord. Some people live to eat. Some people eat to live. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and I was living. <laughs> Man, I'm eating. All of a sudden, okay, I recognize this. It's not the waiter. 
it's the Lord. That's what they said. John looked at Peter and said, I recognize this atmosphere. This is the same atmosphere, Peter, that showed up when we fished all night the other time and we caught no fish. <laughs> and we threw the nets back in. Remember, yeah, it's, that's the Lord. Before Peter could think his way out of it, he grabs his fisher's coat and he dives into the water and he's fishing towards the shoreline. You know the guy hasn't thought this through. Typical Peter. He has not thought this through. <laughs> and so he's already fishing towards the shore. They throw up, man, the fish are in the net. They got to call somebody else to help them from another little boat to help them try to gather all the fish because there's so many fish, 153, was it? There were so many fish in that net. They couldn't hardly get it into the boat. God's speaking abundance and they're living in survival. He said, do you know what's in this atmosphere? Throw your net over. Let me show you what's in this atmosphere. You're wondering about catching a few fish. You're concerned because you fished all night and caught no fish. That's easy. Just throw your net over. What I'm trying to get you in the habit of is recognizing your atmosphere. Not being consumed with what you're going. <laughs> they pull them fish in and by the time Peter gets to the, to the shore, he, he looks at him and he has a recall. <laughs> Not like a car recall. <laughs> he has a recall in his mind of, oh my God, I rejected you, I, I denied you. I <laughs> Come on. It's okay. It's a different season. Let's eat. Why? Because when you eat, that's a time to feast and believe. When you fast, that's a time to prepare. The reason Jesus got fish and where he got that from, he got fish and cooked it and made it and ate it right in front of him. He was trying to tell him, we just stepped into a different season. You're still consumed with what got sacrificed. And I'm trying to show you what showed up after the sacrifice. You already sacrificed. Now let me show you what's here. There's fish right beside your boat. You don't even know are there. There's provisions all around you, and you're asking me for the next meal. said, I want you to look a little further now. As we stand, look a little further now. As we get up off our chairs and stand to our feet, look a little further now. As we get up, God's trying to tell you, and I think He's told you over and over pretty clearly the breath of my spirit is not for one purpose. It is for the total sum purpose of causing your life to be completely, consistently different. And that's the same spirit that's going to get you out of here. For this same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, if it dwell in your mortal body, 
shall also quicken you in that day. Why? He said, it's not just going to get you into the kingdom. It's not just going to get you through the days of your life in the kingdom. It's going to get you out of this world permanently in my eternal kingdom. Its purpose is more than just coming upon you, Mary. Its purpose is more than just producing a child that's going to live, minister, produce miracles, die, resurrect from the dead, and ascend. No, no. Its purpose for coming is a long-term purpose. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of an eternal matter. If you're interested in the long-term effect in your life of Jesus, come to the altar. If you're interested in the long-term effect of Jesus, come to the altar. If you're interested in the long-term effect, if you're not, if you just want God to give you a couple things and you're done, stay there. Just stay there. Just stay there. You're making a decision. Just stay there. If that's what you want, you're making a decision. But it's your decision. It's your decision. It's your decision. It's your decision. You're making that decision right now. You say, well, I choose not to decide. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. It's exactly the choice you made. You're making a decision. It's a long-term journey, and Jesus makes sure that those that make a decision of a long-term effect get things that others don't get. You're about to receive things that others don't get. God sends deliverance by reason of destiny. God sends I want you to lift your voice with that voice. Open your mouth. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, God is about to fill you with His Spirit right here. If you do have the Holy Ghost, open your mouth, lift up your hands, lift up your voice. Let the Spirit speak expressly as the latter times are upon us. Things that have come upon, against, and contrary toward the church and the work of God will now be dealt with by the Spirit upon us, the Spirit of the Lord that will make a way where there seems to be chaos, will make a way where there seems to be a void, will make a way where there seems to be darkness. By the authority of the Word of God, by the power of the name Jesus, by the anointing that is upon us, receive ye the Holy Ghost, receive ye an impartation of freshness, receive ye
want you to do something. I want you to turn to somebody that you do not live with. Don't pray for somebody that you live in the same house. You know their circumstance a little too much because you live in the same roof, under the same roof. So I want you to stretch your faith outside of your house. Sister to sister, brother to brother. I want you to lay hands on them until they are speaking in tongues that the work of the Spirit would now set some things in motion, would now seed some things into their life that would cause a germination of long-term effect. I pray by the power of the name Jesus. En el nombre de Jesús, por la autoridad de la palabra de Dios, por el poder del nombre de Jesús, Señor, suelta los milagros, Señor, que tú tienes ya en el destino de este cuerpo, vaso, alma, sed. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray you lose, oh God, by the purpose that you have in your own mind, in your own kingdom, upon my brother, upon my sister, upon this body, upon this church, upon this faith upon this venue satatayaka talekodo orrakasatala rokosataya by the name Jesus Christ by the name Jesus Christ the only wise God the only wise Savior the only Lord in Christ Ay, suéltate en el Espíritu Suéltate bajo de la mano de Dios Suéltate por el Espíritu Que está sobre ti Lose yourself because the presence of God Is among us Lose yourself because of the Lord's Divine visitation In the house of the That's it, open your mouth Speak in tongues Let the Spirit take precedence Let the Spirit Let the Spirit take precedence let him flow let him flow let him flow you have been praying less than five minutes give God a little bit of space that's it. Go deep. Go deep. Step another step into these waters. Step another process into these depths of God.